We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans, and welcome back to another Buzz Beat. This is Richie. You can find me on Twitter at Richie Randall. Give me a follow. You can follow the podcast at Buzzbeat Pod on Twitter. Another way to support me, another way to support the pod, best way is by giving a five star rating and review. Costs nothing. Probably spend 30 seconds to a minute to get it completed. I will also keep reminding you guys to support us through our Substack by visiting buzzbeat.substack.com. Get some perks of being a BuzzBeat Plus subscriber, or at the very least, just enter your email after visiting that website into that database so you can get the content submitted directly to your inbox. So the week that was for the Hornets, they snapped the Knicks' nine-game win streak on Tuesday. One in Detroit on Thursday, 113-103. Lost to Utah on Saturday night. And then I'm recording this after the Cavaliers game. And they blew a 16-point lead in the second half. And eventually lost 114-108. The turnover percentage of 20.2 will definitely do that to you every single time. Let's review the previous week and dive deeper into some of the performances of these Charlotte Hornets before getting into tonight's recap against the Cavs. If I'm taking a look at this week as a whole, I think there's several players that you can look to, but I, I'm going to start by highlighting Kelly Oubre. Heading into tonight's game, averaging 26 points on 49% shooting and 13 of 25 on shots from distance. He was also 13 from 13 from the free throw line heading into the game. Ubre did not play tonight against the Cavs with some discomfort in his back. He's doing a great job of getting downhill. And the shots don't necessarily always result in rim attempts, but I think that's the goal. Like that's his initiative is to not always take shots from deep. He's still... Generally speaking, a volume shooter from behind the arc. But even if he's not getting all the way to the rim, he's getting into that short mid-range area where he is hitting floaters and runners at a pretty good clip. And one thing I noted way back in December 
or November earlier in the season when I was picking up on some of the new player trends was that Ubre was playing more as a pick and roll ball handler. In 43 games heading into the Cavaliers game, he has run 155 possessions as the pick and roll ball handler. That's a 17.9 frequency rate. That is a larger chunk than what we saw last season. Last season, in more games, he ran less possessions as a pick and roll ball handler, only 71. So Ubre still has more games to play, so that gap between those possessions are only going to go up. And the frequency is about a gap of about 12% in terms of that rate of running more plays as a pick-and-roll ball handler. And part of that has to do with some of the injuries and the role that he has played this year in terms of having the ball in his hands a little bit more. The Hornets do not have Miles Bridges this season, and he was probably one of the larger roles when it comes to putting pressure on the rim. And what's interesting, even with the upped frequency, his efficiency has been better out of these situations. So it's not like Clifford tried something and went away from it because of the dip in efficiency. He actually is doing a whole lot better job of scoring out of these situations. He's scoring 0.92 points per possession compared to 0.66 in 21-22. And these are the plays, too, when you see him, when he's going through these pick-and-roll progressions, he's very similar to Rozier in terms of keeping the defender on his back and weaving his way through the defense on his way to the basket. And I think he's done an excellent job as a a player that's trying to score out of the pick-and-roll in these past four games. Well, I guess past three games. He didn't play in tonight's game or for the week here. So he's never going to be a guy that is a passer out of these spots, but it's good to see him in these opportunities. With LaMelo out, you're going to see players like Hayward, Rozier, Ubre being used more as a primary ball handler in addition to Dennis Smith Jr. as well. And in terms of another player that I would like to point out, I know that Rozier has had a good week and the same with Hayward. But I want to chat about Nick Richards. He said he said such a interesting story to this season with his inconsistent up and down playtime, his role. And it's not necessarily his fault, but heading into tonight's game against the Cavaliers, he was eleven of fifteen from the field. He led the team in total rebounds with 23. And he continues, like this is his biggest like storyline of the season. He continues to impress on the offensive glass. He's really good at positioning himself to where he can not only get the rebound because he's so massive, but he also is at an advantage to where the opponents have to foul him. And in the process, he's gotten a few and ones on the week as well. But I think what's been so frustrating for Richards, and I'd assume it's frustrating for him, is that his play for the most part this season has been very consistent for the majority of the season. 
and you know what you are getting from him on a nightly basis. He is a big, that is a pick and roll, not necessarily a lob threat, but a, a pick and roll rim pressure guy that sets hard screens. Sometimes he gets in trouble and sets too hard of screens or doesn't quite get all the way over and is called for fouls. He is probably the biggest offender on this team when it comes to fouls on setting screens, but he rolls hard. He gets most of his buckets around the rim. And, you know, offensively, he's very limited in terms of what he can do, but that's that's one thing that he does bring. And and even if he's not involved in the play, not a primary guy with the pick and roll, if something else is happening and he is just roaming around the basket, he's going to try to find a way to get on the offensive glass. And that's continued to show up on a nightly basis where he is just continuing to get good positioning and and grab those offensive boards and get those putbacks. And that is something that he continues to show on a nightly basis. I think where he lost his spot was not because any kind of dip in play. It was because he got injured and Mark Williams had arrived on the scene. And with Plumley still in the fold at this point, he was kind of relegated to some spot minutes here and there. I think... It's going to be interesting, not only to end the season in terms of how he's evaluated, but his play style is very similar to Mark. And I wonder if that affects the way that the Hornets move forward this offseason with him being a free agent. I'm not sure he's going to be a priority for the Hornets. I don't necessarily think he'd be expensive by any means, but does it make a ton of sense to have Mark Williams, I guess depending on how the lottery goes too, but does it make a whole lot of sense to have Mark Williams on the roster and Nick Richards being the backup when they play very similar roles? I think sometimes having, you know, continuity within the system is great and all, but having a change up off the bench and playing a different play style while still being productive, I think that's that's beneficial at times. So who knows how the lottery is going to go, but even if the Hornets don't luck into Wimanyama at number one overall and not drafting a center, because if, if they're not one overall, they're not going to be drafting a center, I, I still do wonder if Nick Richards is a part of the future moving forward. Now, I know he's gotten a ton of praise from the coaching staff and the front office, and he's shown tremendous strides in terms of his improvement. He's another guy that is a second-round pick from Mitch Kupchak that has proven to be very valuable. But when it's all said and done, I'm just not sure. And and we'll probably have this conversation as we get closer uh, to free agency in the offseason. But no fault of his own. Nick Richards has had a very consistent season, but we'll see if he's actually back with the Charlotte Hornets next season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Let's get into tonight's game. Cleveland obviously is a very solid team, and they were even playing without Allen. And even with that, defensively, offensively, very balanced. I think they've got a lot of good individual defenders, and even as a team defense, it's very hard to create good looks because of that initial, you know, the initial wall that Cleveland creates. The injury report for Charlotte is getting longer. I mentioned Kelly Oubre's play at the top of the podcast, but he was added to the list with LaMelo, Cody Martin, Mark Williams as well, who's been out for the last couple of games with a thumb sprain. He suffered against the Pistons. So in terms of this game, I'll talk quickly about just the overall game and get into some of the player performances like I typically do. The first quarter was probably one of the more impressive quarters for this team. Defensively, offensively, both ends. I thought the rotations defensively, the energy on that end, and just creating events, whether it was with blocks or steals, very evident. It was a matter of, to me, Charlotte just coming out with more energy and wanting it more, as cliche as that sounds. The second quarter was more of a slow start. There were some defensive breakdowns. There was an early timeout from Steve Clifford, probably because of those breakdowns. The shooting percentages obviously regressed. And then for the Cavs, Garland started to pick it up, started to gain some momentum for the second half. But even when the Cavs did take the lead, the Hornets made another sizable run in the second quarter, getting stops, forcing Cleveland to just one shot. That's always a good sign for for any team, but Charlotte especially in terms of getting out and running and, and trying to expand its lead. If they can limit teams to one shot, which they did for a portion of that in the second quarter. The turnovers were a little bit concerning in that quarter and probably a reason why they couldn't expand it even more. But having said all that, heading into the second half, Charlotte had a seven-point lead and even maintained an eight-point lead into the fourth quarter. So Cleveland hung around. They chipped, chipped away, kept that pressure physically, but also mentally on Charlotte, knowing that they really didn't pull away. I know they had a 16-point lead at one point, I believe, in the third quarter, but it it was also followed by an immediate run by Cleveland. Cleveland had a run that stretched over the third quarter into the fourth quarter, and they eventually took their first lead in a while 
about six minutes left in the game. It was a lot of Garland and Mobley pick and roll that put Charlotte into some tricky situations. And that's always something difficult to guard because those were the two best players, in my opinion, tonight. I think that Mitchell got it going late. I think his final stat line is a little misleading. I think Charlotte did a good job on him for three quarters. I think most of his points came in that final period. But Garland and Mobley, that pick-and-roll duo, I'm sure when Clifford goes back and looks at the tape, probably a big reason why uh, why Cleveland came away with the victory. Mobley's just so good at not only like attacking the lane very, very hard off that pick-and-roll, but he's very much a skilled player that, you know, not just go up and score, but he's a good passer too. Also, another big thing with him, he got the Hornets into some foul trouble using his pump fakes. I think that some players on the Hornets, some of the younger players are a little bit over-eager at time, trying to swat everything that comes their way. And by my count, my last count, it might have been more, but he had he had drawn five shooting fouls on the Hornets, which is a, a pretty big number. So let's get into some of the player performances. The first player that stood out to me when it comes to, at least initially, was P.J. Washington. We certainly chatted about him and his slow starts in the past. He's a guy that sometimes feels invisible when the game starts and doesn't turn it on until the second half, the fourth quarter especially, but that was not the case for P.J. Even in this like odd start time, 5 p.m. start time, with also the the clock springing forward as well, losing an hour of sleep. So just everything about this game felt weird in terms of the start time, but he was locked in on both ends defensively. He was aggressive. Offensively, he was aggressive, especially in that first quarter, trying to get into the paint and force the defense to collapse. He was either driving to score, driving to draw fouls. He finished with a nice up and under on a baseline drive. It's just something that overall, when you kind of look at PJ's career, you wish you saw more of that from him on a consistent basis. Like when he can combine that, if he can get that combination of the three point shot falling, which he was three of six of against Cleveland, that combination with his drives, just feeling more confident on the ball, making an impact on defense, you start to see the type of player that he can be and what makes him so intriguing and also what makes you as a front office feel more comfortable about bringing him back this offseason. I think all indicators show us that they're going to do anything they can to bring him back and the way that they handled you know, him specifically at the deadline and just some of the whispers that are coming out from the organization about bringing him back. I, I think that's going to be the case, but you almost wish that he instilled a little bit more confidence with his play on a night-to-night basis because he does have these stretches where you look and you and you just see the potential that he does have. But also, as we've talked about plenty on this podcast, he can also go through waves and and in games where he just feels like he's not making much of an impact out there. But he did finish, let's see here, with 19 points and five rebounds in 32 minutes of play. 
He got into the foul trouble as well with five personal fouls. DSJ, we'll go to him next. 37 minutes of play for him, 14 points, three steals, seven assists, eight rebounds. I think if you were to choose one word to describe DSJ, it would be pressure. I think that's probably the case for most nights for Dennis Smith Jr., but it was very obvious in today's game against the Cavs. He was creating plenty of turnovers. He's also so good at like taking the ball off of those turnovers and pushing the pace, even if the advantage isn't always there, which is not always a good thing, but at least he forces the action. He forces the defense to stay alert at all times. And I think that's something he and LaMelo both have in common. They just do it in different ways. DSJ does it in a way where he tries to get as far as he can down the court and use his athleticism to try to rise up off the floor and and get a dunk, finishing around the rim, or maybe he's doing it to drive and kick for open teammates. Yeah, but he even had this play in the second quarter where Rozier got a steal, and I'm sure J.B. Bickerstaff is probably not too happy about this play, and he got behind Rubio for a a rim finish, and I'm 99% positive he was not ahead of Ricky Rubio at the time of this steal. And Rozier just fires this pass, like three-quarters court, to DSJ at the rim. And we continue to see his value for this team, the way that he pressures the rim. You know, obviously, if if he can find somewhat of a mid-range shot, I think that would go a long way and creating a little bit more versatility on the offensive end. But everything that we've seen from his play this season makes you want to bring this guy back in the offseason. And with the way that the Hornets have had their struggles filling and keeping that backup point guard position, this just feels like an obvious fit. Local kid and his impact is something that you can count on when he comes off the bench. And you just know what you're getting with him. And I mentioned this on the the Knicks Film School podcast, it feels like he's been around the league longer than he has. It feels like he should be older than he really is. But he's only 25 years old. And he just turned 25 not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. So he will still be 25 uh, when the start of the new season starts next year. Whether or not he's with Charlotte, that's a different question altogether. Nick Richards, another Standout performance from him. One thing I didn't mention at the beginning of the episode, which probably should have, but his blocks have been on display this week. He even had two blocks on Mobley alone in the first half. Both of those attempts were really, really close to the rim, and I think one of them was an actual dunk attempt that Richards erased, and I believe he injured his finger on him. Obviously, he he wasn't taken out of the game by any means, but you could tell that it was hurting him. Still a menace on the glass on both ends. He finished with 12 total rebounds, 11 on the defensive side. He had this one putback that was probably one of the strongest like tip-ins that I've ever seen in a while. He was falling out of bounds towards the baseline. I cannot remember who was defending him or who was the closest defender near him on this possession. But it feels like he was being held a little bit, being shoved a little bit out of bounds. 
it was almost like in football where you've got this mismatch, you've got the wide receiver is, you know, a couple steps ahead of the the cornerback and the defensive pass interference is in play and they try to take the receiver down because you've got no shot at deflecting the pass. But Richards was able to fight through that contact and just tip the ball in. And kind of like in football, you just de- declined the penalty because he still made the catch type of thing. And that's what that first quarter putback reminded me of. He's He's got strength. He's got a massive body in which he uses it well in all aspects of the game. He didn't get his first dunk until the second half, which was off a dunker spot alley-oop from DSJ. And one thing I mentioned earlier in the episode is that even if he isn't in the direct action of the play, which typically is through a screen, he's still going to get good positioning and keep himself in a position that could get him good looks, whether that's an alley-oop, like I mentioned here in the second half, or just an offensive putback as well. He's not a guy that just takes himself out of the play if he's not the option out of the role. And one of the rarer possessions that you would probably see from Nick Richards, other than a free throw line missed jumper, he had a baseline assist. And what was interesting about this play, it wasn't just that he made an assist and converted it. It's that the fact that he was dribbling like five, six, seven times and keeping his dribble alive, could not get to the rim, but he was able to get under the basket and pass it across to the left corner for JT Thor, who makes the three out of all people. And I'm looking at the stats right now. I'm reading this right. Nick Richards has four assists on the nine, which is not something you see too frequently. Let's go on to Terry Rozier. 38 minutes of play, 10 of 19 from the field, 27 points, which was a team high. His three-point shot which has failed to pick up for most of the season, was falling tonight, four of nine from distance. And before tonight, Rozier has always known to go off against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It feels like he probably does it more in Cleveland more so, but in the 22 games that he played prior to tonight, he averaged 17.3 points, four rebounds, and 3.1 assists. So he surpassed the point average, he surpassed the assist average, and he equaled the rebound total here against the Cavaliers tonight. He's doing it with aggression. He's doing it with either hand around the rim. He was hitting his floaters, which comes and goes at points throughout the season. Basically everywhere on the court, even his long pull-up twos were going in. Just a very efficient night from Terry Rozier. And it was it was a nice sight to see because it feels like, not necessarily this week, but over the course of the season, it's kind of been few and far between with him. The only other players that I might want to mention here real quick, Kai Jones, he did foul out. <laughs> and he only played, let's see here, 12 minutes. Six personal fouls, three points in total. I think one thing for sure, the five position suits him better. And I've said that since the summer league over this past summer. Like that was a conversation that I had here on the podcast. 
But the injury to Mark Williams has effectively allowed him to slide over to that backup five position on occasion more frequently in the past couple of games. And I just feel like he looks more comfortable out there. He and DSJ had a nice pick-and-roll alley-oop in the fourth quarter when Cleveland started to make their run. He seemed to have his biggest impact on the game in that final quarter, but also he didn't really play a ton. And that's also when he fouled out. And just generally speaking, and earlier in the game, especially for Kai Jones, everything that he does, he does it in a way that just feels too eager. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's a bad thing. And a lot of times, because he's not polished with what he is doing, it ends up looking more like a bad thing for him. Like, he's very eager to run up the court. And that's, you know, off, off a steal, off a block, off a, a teammate stealer block. He's running up the court. I, I love that eagerness when he's trying to fill the lanes, trying to get an easy bucket after some kind of activity and event creation on the opposite end. But also, too, if he himself gets the rebound or he himself gets the steal, it feels like he dribbles too much because he wants to make a play on the opposite end. He gets caught in the corner picking up his dribble and he is not skill to quickly pick up his dribble and make a pass so a lot of times it causes the offense to slow down and teammates are trying to get the ball back but by then you've killed off so many seconds on the shot clock that you're not going to get a good look in that possession and two like he's eager when he's trying to block everything that comes his way and that's I think got him into some foul trouble tonight so overall like comfortability like like He's more comfortable playing the five, but this game specifically was not necessarily a good game from Kai. I mean, six rebounds is a nice thing to look at, but when you have the same amount of rebounds as personal fouls and you got three turnovers, probably not a very effective game from Kai Jones. But I will say that this position suits him better. Hayward, very solid night. Not up to um, NBA standards or definition, but he had a couple of clutch shots in the fourth quarter. He had a clutch three-pointer right after Cleveland tied the game at 94, and then the possession immediately after, he hits a running floater through contact from Evan Mobley. He continues to show me that he can turn something chaotic, whether it's a drive, whether it's a Euro step. And he slows it down right before he goes up for that shot. And I think that's why he's been so good at finishing around the rim or at least finishing close to the rim, whether it's not a rim attempt or not. But that's that's just something that I've noticed over his career, but especially this season when I feel like it's it's happening more frequently. I think the second quarter for him was probably a frustrating one. A lot of shots lipped out. But... Overall, good play with his cutting, his driving, his finishing through contact, his mid-range shooting overall was was um, something to point to. Like I mentioned, 16 points, 6 of 10 shooting, 6 assists, and 4 rebounds. I guess the only other player that I want to mention, it wasn't like a standout performance by any means, but I think it was an underrated performance on the night. Might have been Svi Mahaluk. He wasn't perfect, but he definitely felt or it looked like he felt comfortable out there and showed a little bit of promise with what he was doing. 
I made the mistake of saying that Svi was not a piece for this team moving forward on the Knicks Film School podcast last week, which if you haven't got a chance to listen to, you can uh, hear me talk about some big picture topics with the Hornets. But ever since that Brooklyn game from last week and entering the Knicks game, it feels like he's been entering the game at an earlier point, playing more of a prominent role. It's not like he's just getting garbage time minutes. He had nine points against the Cavaliers tonight, 50% shooting, and finished with one assist. I think he probably should have had one more because he hit McGowan's in transition and McGowan's missed an easy layup that I'm sure he'd probably like to have back. McGowan's didn't have a, a great game tonight. JT Thor was, was decent, but just thought I'd mention Svee real quick. And as we wrap here, like I mentioned, Hornets fall 108-114. I think at this point, wins and losses don't matter. In the sense that wins aren't going to drop this team out of the bottom four. And losses, barring some miracle, aren't going to push them into the bottom three. So at this point, just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the young players getting more playtime. And just take it for what it's worth. I think if I had to pick three stars from this game, I think the first two are pretty easy. Tier Rozier and Nick Richards for all the reasons I pointed out prior. And if I had to debate that third star, it would either be between Gordon Hayward and PJ. I'm going to say Gordon just because I, I do have an affinity for him over PJ. But also I think his consistency over the course of the four quarters was a little bit stronger. PJ started strong, and he, and he had a couple of three-pointers um, in the first half, and I think maybe just one in the second. But it felt like his impact kind of waned a little bit as the game went on. But I, I don't think you can go wrong with either of those two for that third star of the game. In terms of the games coming up this week, it's a pretty light schedule. Tuesday against the Cavaliers again at home, and then Friday against the 76ers, and we get to revisit Jalen McDaniels and see how he's doing over there with the Sixers. I'm sure he's going to to show out, and uh, it's, it's going to be weird sight seeing him in Charlotte, but in a different uniform. So I do appreciate you guys joining once again for another Buzz Beat. I'm Richie. Take care. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.